From the outpost, this is Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z with a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. I'm Mark Stedman, and I'm daft as a brush, but very, very ravenous. I'm John Bounds, and I don't love you. I'm sorry. I don't even know you yet, Mm. but give me a few minutes. I'm John Hickman. If I have three lemons and three oranges, and I lose two oranges and a lemon, what do I have left? Uh, Sticky hands. Very small fruit salad. You think uh, time flows that way, do you? Interesting. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the leopard. Leopard, leopard, leopard. Uh, We're now deep in the R's, so let's begin with the BBC department that made it all possible. The Radiophonic Workshop was a BBC department that made music and noises for BBC programmes, originally for radio and then for telly too. Uh, Arguably their most famous contribution is the Doctor Who theme. They were formed in 1958 and carried on for another 40 years until John Burt, the then Director General, shut them down as they weren't profitable enough. Hmm. I I notice here in the the script, Mark, that you've... uh suggested I might want to talk about rampant capitalism here, <laughs> but I'm not going to because what I'm going to talk about is the internal market. Ooh, because, yes. Um, this is a, is an obvious uh, bugbear of mine, and it is part of rampant neoliberal capitalism, of course it is. It's a tangent, but it's a sort of false uh, capitalism. Because I, um, I was at the BBC not uh, when uh, Bert was there, and we, we know essentially that John Burt ran the corporation like uh an accountant's firm mm. and uh and, you know bean counting and shuffle it from one place to another but i was there when i started at least under uh rolling rat fan rat fans mm-hmm. uh greg dyke yes and um his uh he was not for this sort of bureaucracy thing he was like very much in the way that uh football teams particularly international football teams swing different ways when they get their managers from an exciting young foreign coach to a boring stayed tried and tested english coach <laughs> and then backwards and forwards and never anything in the middle um the bbc director general Generalship swung to the young, relatively <laughs> uh, populist Greg Dyke, and uh, the most famous initiative of his time there that I remember was uh, he gave everybody yellow cards to put on their desk, right. and they said on them, "Cut the crap." And the idea was that if someone was introducing unnecessary bureaucracy to any of your processes, you were to show them the yellow card, say, cut the crap. Okay. And you had the Director General's uh, blessing. So was it like playing the Joker at the quiz? Got double points. <laughs> On that argument. Yeah. <laughs> but did you have a limited number is what I'm saying? Is it kind Well, of- uh, as far as I'm aware, it was a very much like a football referee's yellow card. It could be shown as many times as you like. And it worked all the way up until um, Alistair Campbell showed Greg Dyke the yellow card over uh, the Dr. Uh, David Kelly affair. Wow. And yeah. the Hutton Inquiry <laughs> and, fucked, and, and fucked him off and fucked the BBC up royally. Is the closing of the Radiophonic Workshop, is this, is it, did it happen in the same way as some of those other things happened? So the, the BBC one of one of its many things that it's been very good at historically is is innovating and um pushing things forward and what seems to happen is every time there's something new and 
some some of the some of the nice young people at the BBC, uh, given a, a bit of a room and somebody who I imagine is kind of like wearing a probably some sort of, sort of a, a polo neck and a, and a tweed jacket and smoking a pipe goes. Do young people? I was going to say someone's definitely smoking. <clears throat> do yeah. you, you young people, I, I I very much trust you and I like what you're. I don't understand it. Have a room. Have a room in thirteen episodes and get on with it. And Come back something. later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they they send somebody off and they give them a little bit of space to go and do something and they come up with something really 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 interesting Mm -hmm. and then um people uh outside will come in and go oh we want to do that and 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 it's unfair that you're doing it with public money and so the bbc kind of creates an opportunity for something or creates Mm -hmm. the the a scene or a movement or an innovation or a technology or something like that and then are told that they can't have it anymore um so where did they have did they have musical research taken off them no this seems to be a different thing this seems to be um a, a bertian um quirk of of the bbc in that he made everyone he made all of the departments as um, as john was sort of alluding to earlier that sort of um you had the word for it the uh internal, internal market internal market thank you so every every department or effectively company within the bbc was uh it had to invoice um, for its services um, and it just became the fact that they could no longer uh, exist because they just weren't pulling in enough money for what they for what it cost to run that particular department but it's the, they could have still been dining out and living on the royalties of the uh, the time lords number one absolutely hit. they could uh, doctor and the time yep. is based heavily on the doctor theme Well, um, there are so many samples on that record that there was more publishing royalties given out uh, than made on every copy. It's a good job everything gets deleted then, isn't it? Uh, yes, well, um, Paddy Kingsland uh, of the Radiophonic Workshop wrote the original score uh, for the radio and TV series, and uh, we salute him. He didn't write the theme tune, though, for anyone who's interested who doesn't already know. That was the Eagles. And now to a woman who was categorically forbidden from marrying a Vogon. Random Dent is Arthur's daughter, mothered by Trillian from sperm donated by Arthur in order to travel around the galaxy. She'd been born in a spaceship that had been going from somewhere to somewhere else, and when it had got to somewhere else, somewhere else had only turned out to be another somewhere that you had to get to somewhere else uh, again from, and so on. Um, I think we could stand to learn a bit more about Random, as I think she's a pretty um, cool and complex character. Uh, I'd even go as far as to suggest some kind of spin-off series. Um, what say you, Mr. H? Ooh. Are you thinking, uh, are you thinking a, a Netflix series that we would need to cast? Or? No, I was thinking uh, maybe a... Um, I don't know if the, the BBC still do, does this. I imagine they probably do, but something that might be on... Um, what is now Radio 4 Extra, but was before that um, BBC 7, and before that was BBC Network Z. Um, I I think, yeah, some kind of radio 
some young person's radio series or or, or podcast perhaps oh. uh, that would um, that would follow her adventures or a series of YA novels. Are those novels uh, only for people from Newcastle? YA, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna, I, I I was going to say, do you kind of see it slotting into that kind of um, y- young young fiction area? Because that I mean that's something that BBC have done successfully mm-hmm. with um, uh, Doctor Who. They obviously they went they went both ways. They went kind of um, bonkers, sexy time, Doctor Who, which they <laughs> yes. called Torchwood. Um, <laughs> Doctor Who after Dark. Doctor Who after Dark. Yeah, that yeah. was Torchwood, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and then they did uh, Sarah Jane Adventures, which is the kind of CBBC, um, so kind of secondary schoolish age yes. version. Um, so there, there is there are some interesting precedents for for doing this sort of thing. I. Um, I imagined if I was going to take on board this property, I immediately thought to myself, hmm, hmm, who can do interesting female-led teenage dramas? And I've immediately picked up the phone and I've called Joss Whedon. Of course. <laughs> of course you have. And, uh, I, I'd, yeah, I'd like to see... Um, I think it'd be quite interesting to see what somebody like Joss Whedon could do with this. Someone, someone who has got those chops of putting together um, humour and a bit of action and genre um, properties, uh, but making them accessible to to people more widely as well. I think, yeah. which is always kind of what what was great about that kind of mix that Buffy had. And crucially as well, if you go back and rewatch um, Buffy's, you know, achieving a lot with not a lot of budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd have, Joss Whedon would have done very well doing something like um, 80s BBC stuff, really, because he seemed to make like 50 quid go <laughs> forever. Well, um, there's, there's been a real spate, um, or a, a rash, if you will, of very good... Um, timey wimey, spacey wacy, ma- mainly timey wimey um, films, um, and I think TV programs as well that actually do a lot with very little and and have almost no special effects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you think of Looper, that was a noir, but the the one of the films that was the inspiration to that, uh, Primer, has no special effects whatsoever and was a very low budget indie film. It was very good, and I didn't understand a single thing that happened. Um, but there's there's a there's a few of those kinds of things i think we we've got we are we, we've got over ourselves in terms of um being able to tell stories um without needing that kind of stuff because you don't have to make a magic portal if you want someone to go back in time you can you can play with that quite well and even early doctor who did that quite well mm. my favorite episode um, which had a fair bit of cgi but not in the timey wimey stuff um was the one where they're all trapped in the church and there's um uh rose keeps going back to try and save her dad and she keeps meet she keeps mm-hmm. interrupting other roses who are doing the same thing and there's like that in itself no special effects involved um that's the one where um fletcher goes off to the pub on the bicycle and buys packets of crisps for everybody and uh dylan the hippie prisoners uh, got, uh has some crisps and uh horrible eyes has got a wasp thing on his bum right <laughs> that's right godpa <laughs> Yes, I tell you what, I'd watch um, Grange Hill Night uh, <laughs> to find out what uh, Bullethead Baxter's doing in the in the evening. Maybe seen him do the admin for his model railway club, something like that. I don't know. Um, so, what do you think? What What does she do? Is she because I think she's got to be an antihero? So, I, I like the idea that she's a reluctant hero going around the world um, and 
you know, sort of reluctantly solving problems, um, getting people out of scrapes. And, and every now and again, you get a glimpse of her humanity. But most of the time, she's just doing it because either she wants to get from A to B very fast or because she's, you know, someone's in her way or whatever. So she's sort of like um, a chaotic neutral Sam Beckett. Yes. In- <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Having having a sort of an, an odyssey, yeah, um, uh, absolutely, if you will, yes. So it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to um, set some some A to B points that maybe intersect with the main hitchhiker's arc. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so she has to get to a particular place by a particular time, but she doesn't know how she's going to get there. Yeah, uh, let's let's have a story in which she has to get something to the hospital in time, or uh, no, she has to get. Um, Arthur and oh no, because it was it was a sperm donation. But I, I like the idea that somehow she's got to engineer her own birth. I think I think that needs to be an episode that is possibly a season finale, um, where she has to she has to go back in time and do something to ensure her own um, birth. She could be some sort of uh, intergalactic um, plater, you know, uh, people who have to deliver cars, <laughs> and then they have to. Um, <laughs> What's their job? And they have sure, these yes. red plates yes. to hang on the cars, and the and other people who are also delivering cars around the country uh, will always pick up a hitch hiking person who's got one of these red plates, and you're invited to two if you see one because they're all very nice people. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, she could be delivering spaceships or have to hitchhike, and she's got to get to her next job or whatever. Ooh, I like so it. Hang, hang on, is there is there literally a job that involves you turning up to work? And the gaffer going, keys are in the ignition, third fiesta down on the right. Yeah. Uh, I want you to take it to uh, Suffolk. <laughs> I hope you get back. Not quite. Well, essentially, yeah, because you get, um, my father-in-law used to do it. You, um, you wouldn't necessarily start at the same place every day because they're more likely to say, uh, the car we want you to get is in Suffolk. Uh, you've got to take it to Edge Bastard. This sounds like a high concept um, Channel 4 quiz, doesn't it? <laughs> It's kind of like some sort of survivalist thing. Maybe Bear Grylls has, has got to deliver a car from Suffolk to Edgebaston. He doesn't know how he's going to do it. They're going to just drop him out of a helicopter in well, Norwich. Well, you just drive the car. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but how do you um, get to the car, John? <laughs> well, that's the whole point. Especially, most, when, especially they, when someone's chasing you, because that's the next thing I'm going to add into the mix. Well, they, they do get a sort of basic sustenance and public transport allowance. But if they don't spend it and they hitch... They make the money, don't they? So your whole life is a calculation between can you save seven quid's train fare or should you stand on a street corner? Mm. Uh, I mean, I mean, John, you want to you want to talk about late capitalism seriously? It's a, well, you, your cars are got, cars don't magically drive themselves. Well, they will do soon. And uh, from a random dent to a random fruit. Once picked, ratchet screwdriver fruit needs a dark, dusty drawer in which it can lie undisturbed for years. Then one night, it suddenly hatches, discards its outer skin, which crumbles into dust, and emerges as a totally unidentifiable little metal object with flanges at both ends and a sort of ridge and a sort of hole for a screw. This, when found, will get thrown away. No one knows what it is supposed to gain from this. Nature, in her infinite wisdom, is presumably working on it. John Bounds, what happens when um, ratchet screwdriver fruit goes off well we've just described 
uh, what happens when it uh, goes off, I think. Late stage capitalism. Yeah, but it's, I meant it being thrown away. Oh. But <laughs> did I? Did you, as I, had to uh, actually look up what a ratchet screwdriver was? Or did you know? I, I knew. You knew. You were your proper I, Yeah, I continued um, with it, with ignorance. Did you think it was like a space tool? Well, I was... I, like the hydro spanners in I, Star Wars. I <laughs> got no idea, really, because I've never heard of them. But um, no, I assumed it genuinely was a spanner, but I didn't... Uh, a screwdriver. But I didn't really know uh, what sort. So I had to look it up. And it turns out to be one where you turn it one way and all the good, it's a screwdriver. But if you turn it the other way, it sort of doesn't screw. It sort of, so you don't unscrew mm-hmm. the screw that you're turning on. So you can sort of go... Half turn, half turn back, half turn back, and keep doing it. So if you're in a, a closed space, and I thought, blimey, that's good. That is, it is. My dad has one. I could only think of a maybe. I'd only ever use it once a year, and the rest of the time, that's why it goes in the drawer, mm. and that's why. Um, did uh, there are only two reasons to put things like that in drawers one is because uh they've got to ripen and go off and fulfill their lives and the other one is um like a potato masher is to make it absolutely random lottery maybe one time out of five that a kitchen cutlery drawer will open uh properly without you banging it having to stick your hand in and and go around it's a deep, I was, it's interesting to me because this this idea of um so it made me think and ponder uh, it's it's a little bit of it's a nice um, it's uh, you know we do sort of and it's not an anthropomorphification or a personification it's a sort of fruitification <laughs> of a, a or naturalification of a, a inanimate object organification oh yeah that's a good word we'll have that but so it led me to think about what fruit is now <laughs> not like what's a fruit ha oh, ha that's a banana that's a nut or whatever but a fruit is to protect the seed. The, the flesh of the fruit is to protect the seed. And there's the happy happenstance of evolutionary accident that us animals eat the fruit, swallow the seeds, go somewhere, shit out the seeds in a nice fertile blob of shit somewhere where more of the plant could grow. That's a sort of, that's a sort of happy happenstance, really. So God, life is beautiful. I was wondering... Um, how this works in terms of the ratchet screwdriver. Uh, which bit is the seed? And maybe I'm assuming that that's the, the long bit with the hole for the, the screw. And the rest of it is the, is the flesh. But metaphorically, that small window of time when it's actually useful to us is the ripen mm-hmm. end of it. And maybe in another universe, that's, I don't know, someone eats it and there's some sort of like internal screw that accidentally gets turned by an I don't know. It's, 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 it's here, John. John, Let me, let me me help you out with this one. So if you're, if you're saying like fruit evolves on an evolutionary scale to be tasty to animals so that they eat it and then have a shit and then the seeds move, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you want to know what the equivalent is for a screwdriver. Well, the, the thing, the thing about, the eat, eating the fruit having a poo is you you get your you're sitting under your tree your apple falls off the tree you invent gravity you eat your apple you walk off it's hours before you have a poo mm-hmm. and then when you have a poo the seed the seed's somewhere else the ratchet screwdriver transmits the seeds of ratchet screwdrivers because you're only going to need that once a year as you've said 
So you're not going to buy one. You're going to come and knock on my door and borrow it. I ain't ever getting that back. That's going in your drawer. Mm-hmm. That's very clever because I was go- I was wondering if there was something, you know, there's, um, there's probably a word for them. There's some sort of like tool libraries or whatever, or things where you, um, in the modern internet, where you register the fact you've got a jigsaw or, uh, you know, there is, like there, is there is such a thing. Yes. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, they exist, don't they? Tool bank. Yeah, a tool bank. That's what they're called. And I was, I was thinking it was tool library, and the only thing I they're know too big is, to fail the tool banks. <laughs> I was just thinking that you wouldn't. The only thing you'd know about I know about the tool library system is you don't go and borrow ladders from the library in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, that's it. That's your there's your life cycle. Um, we've solved it. Well done, John. Well, yeah, yeah I, I feel it's a, a very similar life cycle to the umbrella right. in that very few people own an umbrella, but lots and lots of people have an umbrella um an an umbrella is not really owned by anyone it's sort of you have an umbrella for a period of your life and then you have to set it free and that will become someone else's umbrella for for a little bit and i think that is how they propagate specific things that umbrellas will do is that they will and they'll be they'll be passed from place to place whilst whilst they're useful and then they really want to get into bins so that's why (laughs) they evidently grow (laughs) it seems there's some wind that's that's basically there. That's when they go on the turn, and then you have to put them in the bin. Well, now uh, it's time to feed my grandmother. The ravenous bug blatter beast of Trial is a mind-bogglingly stupid animal with a gaping mass of slavering fangs. You can easily fool it by putting your hands over your eyes because it assumes that if you can't see it, it can't see you. Uh, one of my favourite lines uh, from the series uh, is this. Is it safe? Oh yes, it's perfectly safe. It's just us who are in trouble. Mr Hickman, um, what other ways could you outfox the bug blatter beast? I'm imagining that if I was to pick up a tennis ball and uh, move my arm forward at some velocity and then pass the tennis ball behind my back. <gasps> look at this. Are we going to throw it? Yeah. Here we go. Look, look. Are you watching? Are you watching? Whee! Go get it. Go fetch it. That's going to have to work, isn't it? Yeah, that's got to work. It works on my cats, and they've got much better reactions than dogs. So I think I think other things that might, um, might trick them, um, perhaps they might, they might see me put my bins out on bin night, and they might just become frozen to the spot wondering why I would do such a, a thing that is such a waste of my time and effort uh, when they're clearly they're not going to collect the bins for about three or four days. Um, that, yeah, more that, local, uh, local humour. I was thinking maybe you could sort of steal their nose. <laughs> <laughs> How does the bug bladder beast smell? Ravenous. Do you think they're fooled by the throwing an imis- invisible ball up and catching it in a brown paper bag trick? Oh, I don't know if I've ever seen that trick. Oh, well, hang on a minute. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ready? Ready? Yep. See that? Uh. Oh, wow. That was... Where's, where's the ball come from? I can't tell you. I can't tell you how it's done, Mark. I'm a member of the Magic Circle. I guess if the ball in the bag trick doesn't work, um, if there's if there's a sofa or a table between me and them, I could mime that i'm in a lift and disappear <laughs> behind it ideally you want a steep set of stairs and then crawl away yeah um uh, perhaps i could put a perhaps i could mime a sheet of glass between me and them are there loads of videos online of people um showing themselves then holding a towel up and then uh running uh brought the towel down and showing themselves and then putting the towel up and then throwing the towel and then running off to the side into a wall <laughs> and then getting eaten <laughs> 
by the ravenous bloodbath of beast of trial. <laughs> there, there could be a there could be a whole YouTube sort of subgenre of uh, try not to get eaten videos, couldn't there? Like the try not to laugh videos. I'm already thinking about um, the the marketing campaign for this very podcast. Um, is a bunch of videos of how to evade a bugbladder beast. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about Prack, who was a forest-dwelling messenger and, for a very short time, a keeper of the reason. One night, a spaceship appeared in the sky of the planet Delphorsas, which had never seen one before. The tribesmen who saw it swore that they'd seen a sign from their gods, which meant that they must now arise and slay the evil princes of the plains, who likewise had seen the sign and assured it to be, or assumed it to be, in order to kill the tribesmen. This sort of thing happened a lot, as pretty much everyone on the planet took everything that happened as some sort of sign. This was mainly a problem for the forest dwellers, who lived uh, where the battle would inevitably and repeatedly take place. Whenever the forest dwellers complained and asked why their forest needed to be destroyed yet again, uh, someone from either side would tell them the reason, in very calm and uh, rational tones. The forest messenger would nod dumbly and walk back to his tribe, where he'd try to explain this very sensible reason, only to have completely forgotten it. As a man who loses a lot of arguments because he doesn't know anything, um, I feel like I can sympathise. JB, where do you place yourself in this story? Are you a forest dweller or are you one of the keepers of the mysterious reason? I don't think I know the reason. I've I have experienced this sort of thing a lot. I don't know whether I think I may have talked on this podcast before about seeing Tim Berners Lee talk. Oh yes, about about the idea of the semantic web. Yes, and it sounded brilliantly plausible. And the minute he left the room, fucking <laughs> hell, no idea what that was, what anybody was doing. Yep. Um, and I'm I'm assuming the um, there's a footballer who uh, plays for Wales called uh, Robson Canoe. Mm-hmm. And Hal Robson Canoe, and uh, he is starting up a uh, blockchain-based sports thing. Oh, no way. Right. And everybody was going on about recently on the internet how that he, and like footballers are stereotypically stupid, aren't they? He gave the only succinct explanation of what the blockchain was. And I read it, and I think I thought I understood it. Yep. I'll be jiggered if I know what it is. <laughs> and I think this is the same as, like, um, my uh, my other half uh, was having a, a, I suppose, a friendly jibe at me the other night because it's we've lived in this house for about a year and a half and I know the names of our next door neighbours, <laughs> but I can't remember them, mm-hmm. if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Yes, I do. And I think that's, assen- that's essentially because I don't care. Yeah. And I don't care what the blockchain is, and I don't care what the semantic web is, and I don't care what the reason is. <laughs> all I ca- all I'm doing is nodding along and wanting to get out of the situation <laughs> as quickly as possible. You, that's why it's why politicians get away with stuff because essentially no one really wants to talk to them. They're just going, yeah, what can I? I'll just yeah, just agree. Uh, like the nuss, like the nusser on the bus. <laughs> what, what what can I say to make this person go away? Do you know that John and I were the first internet satirists to accept bitcoins? I'm I'm sort of not surprised. We put out a press release and everything, and you can can literally pay us to do jokes using bitcoins, and no one ever did. Well, someone might have done. I've got no idea where it is.
finally, a quick hand for the house band. Reg Nullify leads the cataclysmic combo band at Milliways. He can be a little proactive on the drums, if Max Quadlepleen is any judge. Uh, Mr H, is it basic nominative determinism that brought Mr Nullify to the restaurant at the end of the universe? I don't think so. Oh, OK. I, why, would, why, would you, why would you not... Um Name your act for the for the thing that you're doing. I, I think that's uh, a fairly. Is it his real name? Yeah. So um, so um, last last night was the last night of uh, a course I've been doing, and there's a there's a show at the end of it, and people were, were making up stage names, and the, like that's a thing that people do. So I'm yeah. I don't necessarily follow that. It has to be if if you want me to apply some logic to this. I think it might be somebody who's um, perhaps a little bit ashamed of where their career has ended up. Ooh. Um, and uh, essentially, you know, they kind of, they need to make rent and they want the money. Um, bit of a gambling problem, maybe a bit of a drinking problem. That money kind of gets through their fingers pretty quickly as a bit of a, bit of a, a sustain in a, in a B&B or a, or a, um, a bed sit at the end of the universe hmm. um you know things haven't gone well since the divorce and just uh you got to protect the got to protect the, the the legacy and the reputation of the work that came before so just go do this under an unassumed name until until you get back on your feet reg come on come on reg i'll give you this gig 50 quid a night cash all right oh, but i but max quadruplane is a huge huge star I'm thinking that him and Reg Nullify and the boys, are, I think they probably, uh, they go back a long way. You mean they go way back? All the way back to the, the, the they probably bang. were the bang in the Big Bang. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. The, um, I'm guessing that they started off as quite a hip sort of uh, happening sort of skiffle or mm. rock and roll combo. Mm. Um, I'm essentially saying they're the shadows <laughs> uh, and they've... Uh, they're in the shadows at least. Never, never. And Reginald, if I ease Cliff Richard, it's a lovely piece of Douglas, um, isn't it? It is a lovely piece of Douglas. You've you've got you've got uh, you've 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 got to have a house band. The house yeah. band has a name, a personality. Um, I can think of sort of other what other sort of fictional house bands. It was called Glenn Ponder. That's the, the one that always leaps to mind. Yeah, in Alan Partridge, there was um, Steve Naive and the Playboys. On uh, Jonathan Ross. Oh yes, of course. There was there was what five five puffs uh, puffs on a piano, who were uh, or were already a thing um, that that then he brought onto the show, if I uh, remember rightly. I think yes, four, four and, puffs um, on a piano, not five. There was one, one too many. Yeah. Well, maybe there was a spare. <laughs> oh, it's 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 a lovely um, it's setting, and it's it it's one of those things that sets uh, hitchhikers in essentially 1970s to early 80s space. Yeah. Which is my favourite thing about... I think it's my favourite thing about the whole Hitchhiker's universe. Mm-hmm. But it's not your modern space. No, no, no. With your explosions and, and your... your and, your, and your ray guns and, uh, and, your, and your... Yeah, your, your laser things and your zapping about here and there and absolutely, yeah. It's... And you're having to understand things. <laughs> it's just... It's just Earth in space... And all the better for it. It's it's sort of, it's not even just Earth. It's sort of Grimsby in space. It's sort of, you know, um, Basildon in space is is kind of the, the universe of the Hitchhiker's Guide. It's just, I mean, I I, um, I I'm kind of fascinated with, and I've written a little bit about this on my on my blog. Um, I'm kind of fascinated with this 
you you explored it a little bit in um but it's a slightly different culture you explored it a little bit in in peer review the sort of end of the peer entertainment culture but i i really i'm interested in the sort of southwest um club land of the holiday destinations that people from the midlands might go to or, or people from all over the, the the sort of bottom half of the uk go to um like cornwall and devon and uh, places like that that have these different entertainment um offerings in in their uh, in the campsites and the and the sort of the, the different the hierarchies of these different places so i i, I hit a new nadir um this year in and i have definitely seen the worst cabaret act. the the one that makes you go this counts um was a uh it was friday night so i thought i well this is the big night because it's friday this is you know traditionally saturday night's your biggest night because everybody's um typically everybody that's that's when they arrive and so the dads want to get to the pub because they've put the tent up or they've they've fiddled around with the aerial in the caravan um and so they want to get they want to get their little drink and and um i'm playing with stereotypes here the moment's to play bingo but you know the, the kids want to go to the um and that it does happen in areas of my family um the kids want to go and play in the arcade and stuff and then there's the kids cabaret and then there's the big cabaret and then on friday night that's the last night um that's the end of your holiday you know you've got to pack up the tent or, or the caravan the next morning um, um, and so you you might want a big a big send off on the Friday night, and so we had a, a scar um, and sort of reggae reggae revival tribute act uh, on the Friday, which I was quite looking forward to. I've seen a very very good one um, at another holiday camp years ago, and they were really excellent. And I got a little bit drunk and danced like a loon. To they are so. All right, this is going deep into the weeds, but I um, there is an obscure cover of Hotel California by a ska punk band called the Scar Daddies from about eighteen years ago. This band played that, um, and so I lost my shit, um, and so I had a great time, and, and so um, spool back now to uh, to only um, a couple of months ago, and what was on stage was a. What can only be described as a Welshman in a leather jacket singing to a CD, <laughs> and that was that was that was the act. It was a Welshman singing karaoke and getting aggressive at people who weren't singing, and 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 didn't seem to understand that this doesn't count as entertainment. Um, uh, the, I, my mind boggled, like how little effort it now takes to be a performer at one of these places where you can. I mean, he was barely dressed. I mean, he had a, he had, he was a white guy, white t-shirt, bald, just looked like a, just looked like your mate who, you, you ask him to do a foreigner, you know, you ask him to just quickly sort out your plumbing. He, he's not entirely qualified, but you know, he went to, he did nine months of plumbing school, so he knows a bit. And he, he, I wouldn't trust him to look after, you know, my, my car. Um, he looked shifty as fuck, and yet he's just there singing, singing Scar songs. And uh, ah, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was an absolute new low for for cabaret entertainment. But at the same time, I am fascinated by just the the whole world of that. I I think is wonderful, and I think it is something that sort of Reg and 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 Max. Um, you know that that sort of northern club land it feels like they that's something that it's very social clubby um and i i i dig it a lot i once saw at a butlins camp in uh minehead the baron knights oh wow now that that's big 
right? Yeah, that is. That's, that is big. Oh, my God, yeah. Supported by a young Shane Ritchie. Wow. And uh, he had his uh, girlfriend, Anolan, with him. Ooh, Anolan. I can't remember which Anolan <laughs> it was. But the only... Uh, the only uh, Baronites were good. I really like the Baronites. Um, but th- they are so... They're, they're so higher than the Grumbleweeds on that sort of... Um, comedy band thing but the only thing i remember about shane Ritchie's performances he was he had a mullet sparkly jacket 80s tie and he was doing a joke and i don't know what the joke was i can't remember the the the, the, the context content of the joke but the punchline of the joke was and rat was the sound of snails being eaten up by a lawnmower <laughs> If anybody can work out what that <laughs> Backwards joke Backwards engineer it, please. Is. Please do. Well, there you go. Um, that is that is our show. That's um, that's all you're entitled to uh, this week. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you want to find uh, John, uh, either of the Johns on the Twitters there, you'll find John Bounds at Bounder. John Hickman is at John Hickman. And I am at I am Steadman. Uh, and you'll find links and show notes and everything at btlpodcast.com. Um we uh, we miss Danny and we wish him lots of love and um, we hope that he comes back soon and safe and stuff and uh, he'll never listen to this so it's fine we will be back in a week's time so until then share and enjoy This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com. So, John? Yeah. I'm thinking of starting a new uh, a new blockchain currency, mate. It's uh, it's it's called hegemony. Do you want to <laughs> <laughs> get involved? <laughs>